1: Welcome to Close Reads here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern and I am joined this week by Tim McIntosh. Tim, how are you, sir?
0: I'm great. Tim McIntosh, no Angelina Stanley? Yeah,
1: Angelina Angelina could not make it with us this week. She is, um, what did she decide she was doing? She was going to go to Aruba as well. (laughs) Oh, that's great for her. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think she's probably on a, she's probably. We should have issued a press release. That's what we should have done. <laughs>
0: we should have issued a press release. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah, Angelina is not uh, joining us this week. She's got some things going on. So we are going to be holding down the fourth this week as we finish up on, on Gilead. Um, and then our next book is going to be, do we need a drum roll? I mean, we, everybody knows what it is, but we could do a drum roll just for fun.
0: I'll do a drum roll for okay. fun. Ready? Set, go. Right. Brrr, the brrr. next book is going <laughs> to be
1: Agatha Christie's The Murder on the Orient Express. We're going to spend a few weeks on that throughout the month of October, leading up to the November 6th release of the new movie version of that book, which stars many people from uh, Daisy Ridley, who was just in Star Wars, to Johnny Depp, um, to Kenneth Branagh, and uh, I think, is it Judy Dench that's in it? There's just a ton of people that are going to be that in Judy that Dench movie. I think Judy Dench is in it, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, that's going to be fun. So we'll, do, we'll talk about the book. When the movie comes out, we will go ahead and talk about the, uh, the movie as well. We'll do a little movie tie-in episode or whatever you want to call it.
0: David, I've heard that Agatha Christie <laughs> – I heard this a long time ago, and these are things that are notoriously difficult to count. But I've heard that Agatha Christie is one of the two best-selling authors of all time along with uh, Chairman Mao. <laughs> well, because I, Chairman Mao Obligated his Subjects I guess to buy the little Red book huh? That's, so that's what I've heard I, I don't know
1: I don't know anything about Mao What I do know though is that Maybe this is just in the west I don't know But um, The um, Agatha Christie collection Is only outsold by Shakespeare In the bible
0: No kidding
1: So you know that's obviously a significant thing, you know, yeah, it's a pretty big deal if you're right up there yeah. with Shakespeare in the Bible, I guess not that she's up there with Shakespeare in the Bible, but just as far as sales go, yeah, um well uh we also we we talked we said we were gonna do a q and a episode next week, but we decided that quite frankly we need a break <laughs> so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna let the q a happen on the facebook page feel free to you know put your questions there and we'll respond to them as we can but we've done uh we realized we've done i think it's 40 episodes in a row without a break um you know sometimes we've done more than that if you include bonus episodes and different content that we've created uh so that goes all the way back to the beginning to last december so we are going to take a week to catch our breath and then we're going to come back in two weeks with Uh, the beginning of the murder on the orient express but we just need to you know we both have all three of us have so much going on um and have all summer that we're just gonna we're just gonna beg your forgiveness and hope that it's okay and just take some time to uh, take a week to 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 not have to um record and do all the reading and the prep and things that go into that so we hope that's okay like i said post your questions on the facebook page and we'll get to them as we as we can Um, And that'll give us a chance to just catch our breath before we uh, jump into the fall reading in earnest. Um, Anything else we need to take care of, Tim? I think that's about it. Um, How are your classes? Well, uh, um, the sponsor for this episode is actually, we kept this one in-house a little bit the the sponsor for the episode this 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 week is our new forma podcast which you may or may not have heard me talk about on facebook we recorded a little preview episode about 5 minutes but the forma podcast which you can already subscribe to is going to be different interviews it's our, it's our new interview show with people who are I don't know, we'll call them movers and shakers, uh, big ideas people, people we want to talk to about the work that they're doing in classical education. So in one episode, I, I just recorded one today actually uh, uh, with Angelina about mystery stories. So um, we we did that this morning, um, and that's going to go up because she wrote an, an article in our magazine, which is also called Forma, uh, about mystery stories. I'm going to be talking to Adam Andrews about his article on The Great Gatsby. I interviewed Brett McCracken about his new book on the— the church um, and the 20th century, 21st century church. I'm going to interview a guy um, about, his a new book called well I don't, I don't want to give it all away i can't I, I can't make promises about when these episodes will come out so i don't want to say all the names because i don't want to don't want to back these different writers and stuff into corners as far as when they have to come on but it's going to be lots of great content it's kind of the audio companion to the Forma magazine that we put out um and if you haven't heard about the magazine you can go to com to learn more more about that so this episode is brought to you by the former podcast um and if you want to subscribe to that you can search that in itunes or stitcher or podcast act or wherever and subscribe and as new content comes out starting this week you'll be able to get those every week a new interview every week probably every wednesday or thursday so that's a pretty exciting show we're going to have going it's going to i'll do a lot of the interviews but we'll have other people doing them as well from my dad to matt bianco to brian to whoever else wants to do one so um pretty excited about that so go subscribe all right, Tim, let's talk Gilead. That's what we're here Dave, for.
0: It's, we started off with a bang. Like the first page we that did. we read was a huge revelation that Jack Boughton had, has a wife and child, and not just that, uh, an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. That's his wife. Were you—, when you... Go <laughs> I ahead. I was going to ask you the same question you are about to ask me. <laughs> well, okay. Why, yeah.
1: Let me ask you, because I've read it before. Yeah. So were you – like, was this a crazy shock for you? No. Okay.
0: Why not? Because you read ahead. (laughs) No, 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 no. Not because I read ahead, because it just sort of – it just syncs up with the first half of the book, which is a – a, a long conversation about fathers, about the Civil War, about the abolitionist movement, mm-hmm. it then turns to—it seems to me like the second half of the book is John's concern about Jack Bowden. And I even asked a couple podcasts ago, I was like, I wonder how the first part is going to tie into the second part. There's certainly—there's a relationship because um, yeah. it's a story of fathers— Yes, and fathers like kind of like navigating the previous generation,
1: and Jack's trying um, to navigate how to be a father to this child whose family doesn't really want him around, and he can, yeah. he's having a hard time providing, and it's clear that he loves the child, but he's he's troubled in his own way about how to um, how how to be a father to this child that he and he already knows he's been a failure as a father, so all those things, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. It did. It, it seemed to me like it it fit the theme that had begun at the beginning of the book. It's yeah, synced that's up. That's a great pretty point. Nicely.
1: That's a great point. It's like a, I like that We had a hard stop too. You had like this big page break and it was almost like
0: right part three or whatever. Is it the only page break in the book or is there another one earlier on? I mean, we get a, we get a blank page.
1: Yeah, we get at, And we which, get those, we, we've gotten those little lines at the bottom of sections and stuff. Right. But I, I think this is the first time when we get such a hard stop. Um, so to speak, and it was after it was after the you know after that scene in the house with the two old men, and Jack right. comes in and all that, and then we get this hard stop and then turn to this, yeah, yeah. but I like that your point there, signals that it
0: t- us that it's a big deal
1: yeah, and in some ways it you know it certainly signals that it's um a conclusion, you know, um yeah, we need to think about it a little bit differently and I like your point that it, it brings together these other themes throughout the book, even including slavery and the abolition movement, and it brings it yeah. into, you know, brings it into focus again.
0: Did you, I, I have a question. Go ahead, David. No, go
1: for it. Go for it.
0: I, I have a question. A lot of people on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. the Close Reads Facebook page, have mentioned that they – how important – reading home, and also it sounds like to a lesser degree, Lila is, to kind of making sense out of Gilead. Um, And I completely believe that's true, but it makes me wonder whether or not, uh, artistically speaking, that is a shortcoming Uh, In Gilead Does that make sense
1: Um, It does Yeah I mean it's definitely a valid question So I guess the question is twofold right Like, Is that true that you can't make sense Of Gilead without reading home Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's
1: that's the first question I mean do you agree That you can't make sense of it without reading home and you haven't Read home so based on what you know Do you feel like it it
0: works That you can make sense of it I, I feel like I can make sense of the book um, the book feels a little bit muddy to me. Um, and what do I mean by muddy?
1: You just took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, really? <laughs> You're asking yourself this, questions you? now. It's perfect. No, I, I meant though. What, what do you mean by Muddy.
0: I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself because I just said that like thematically having Jack Bowden, um marry a black woman kind of like ties in thematically to the beginning of the book. Uh-huh. And so I think that's true. But I almost see that I should have maybe used the word like um, the storyline ties in with the beginning of the book. And I, it does thematically tie in. But I – I felt myself at the end of this book thinking what is what is this book not what is this book about? Is it about fathers and sons? Is it about um, loving when you don't understand? Is it about the disharmony in American culture that has existed because of slavery? Is it about? Is it is it a theological book? I I, and this is the first time. Let me I'll say it in a different way. With Jaber Crow, I felt like that book was tremendously complex, but I felt like thematically it was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel that way about this book. This is a tremendously complex, but I don't feel like it's thematically neat. I feel like it's thematically a little bit muddy. So
1: does that inherently make it an artistic? Is that uh, inherently an artistic issue? Is that inherently a flaw? Because like, if I were to ask you, what is crime and punish? What is brothers? Brothers K about, or what is Anna Karenina about? What would you say? I mean, wouldn't you list off a bunch of things like that? Like you just did for, like, yeah, you could read so many different ways, read it so many different ways from so many different perspectives, right?
0: That's true. But I, see, I think all those books are thematically neat in the way that Jaber Crow is thematically neat. I don't mean neat Oh, cool. You know what I mean? No, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Succinct like, or... clean your room, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Those books are enormous, and they cover so many different themes, just like Gilead covers so many different themes. But I think part of the reason those books are so satisfying to me is when I finish them, there is kind of like a a crystalline purpose that you can see behind the book. And I don't – and it might be because I've only read Gilead once, and it might be. That's not what – maybe Marilyn Robinson is not attempting to do that.
1: Um, yeah, I'd be inclined to say she's probably not trying to do that, and that might yeah. be that might be the uh,
0: it might be the modernist in her. I don't know. Do you think that she is? You think she is a modernist?
1: Well, I mean, I I, I probably I don't think she would probably say that, but there's certainly um, that influence, right? I mean. Is there? I mean, I I don't know how to answer yeah. that exactly. I'm just saying there's probably some semblance of um, modernism in her, but she's also just writing in a modern context, and that's you know. But I guess I don't. Maybe I don't entirely know what you mean by um a crystalline purpose that that, that, that like the book rev- clearly reveals itself to be about. Yeah. Because that when you say that, and I'm not saying you're saying what I'm about to say, but it, it sort of feels like you're kind of getting at the idea of like. What's the the um? I don't know. What's the word? What? What's the the lesson that you that to
0: to be Uh, learned? Right? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, because I I I think probably you and Angelina and I probably all are pretty resistant to learning lessons from books. I mean, I think we do learn lessons from books, but I don't think it's um we weren't Gilead is not Aesop's fables meant to point us to a moral. moral. Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't say that, but I do, I do think that there is, this is a hard, I I think (laughs) that I'm really Aristotelian in my views of uh, literature, meaning, I mean, Aristotle is still spoken of today as kind of he's the master of, of assessing what made a play work. And I think that his, what he thought made a play really powerful is what I think makes a novel really powerful, a mover really powerful – some movies and in, in plays and novels break the rules, break the kind of like observations that Aristotle made, mm-hmm. and they succeed. But for the most part, I think there's kind of an agreement that Aristotle – there's a there's a unity of disparate parts that coalesce in a play or in a novel or in a movie that they coalesce into a thematic hole. Okay, and, and that coal, you yeah. don't
1: think that that has happened in this book. There's not a thematic hole.
0: I, I don't. I I don't. Or if it if it's there, I need to read it again to to find it. I think there are like about four thematic threads running through the book. And I just didn't feel like those coalesced into a whole in the way that Dostoevsky's books do, the way that I think Jaber Crow did, the way that certainly um, Flannery O'Connor did. I mean, I think Flannery O'Connor's tasks is a little bit different because she's writing short stories and she's not writing a big novel. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Gilead does that now.
1: I'm not sure that I. I mean, I don't even really know how to push back against that. Um yeah. I, I don't. I do because I have to think about it. I haven't. In my mind, there are definitely themes that are that that kind of hold the book together. But I don't have much in the way of pushing back on that. So I guess I'm just gonna kind of. I'm not changing the subject when I ask you this, but I, I'm. How do you <laughs> having? How did you feel about the experience of reading this book? Because you were at various times you said you know. I was pushing through it like a mystery novel and things like that. So I'm curious to know, right. now that you've finished it, where, you're, where you you'd grade that experience and, and how you feel about, you know, some of these ending points. I've got some very specific questions I want to ask that I want to talk about about yeah. the end, um, but I'm curious about your experience.
0: I, the first 120 pages were maybe 140 pages. I don't know. They were kind of a slog. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was reading kind of a, a shambled – Diary. And then when Jack Boughton came in and the kind of like mystery of Jack Boughton came in, I, I got really interested because I was so curious to know, you know, what was going on with Jack, with John and Mm -hmm. what, and what, what was his view of Jack? It just seemed to so preoccupy him. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of found out the, we found out the mystery and the mystery was kind of to some degree revealed. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also find out, which I think is the point that you were making last week, the bigger point, which is John comes to some sort of understanding in his mind, or maybe he comes to a decision about how he's going to act regarding Jack. Um, Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was sort of the conclusion of that part of, the story, John making a decision about how what his stance was going to be toward Jack, mm-hmm. but at the end of the book i it I wasn't wholly dissatisfied, but I was not satisfied
1: by okay, go on by what like what did you what do you feel like you wanted more of, of? <laughs>
0: Is that a fair question? I, Probably not. Yeah, it's totally fair question. And I think if I could answer it, I would be the one applying like the thematic wholeness to yeah, it. So you that just, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about some specific things.
0: Um, okay. I want to ask you the same questions that you're asking me, David, because you, you, I think have a stronger affection for this book than I do. Um, did you want the thematic coalescing to take place that I wanted it wanted to take place? I don't
1: feel the lack of that. Yeah. So for me that's not something I mean,
0: I guess I would want it if I felt it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um you don't you don't feel it because you weren't seeking it or you don't feel it because you felt you were seeking it and you felt it was fulfilled.
1: Uh, no, the, I, I, I think it was fulfilled, Uh but, uh but, but, you know, I might be seeing things that aren't there, you know, I'm perfectly willing to to suggest that that's possible. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. (laughs) Right. Um, Uh, I've also, I'd also read it before. so like, I, I mean, that may, that may help. I don't know. I mean, I also may do the opposite. It may make me see things that, you know, that aren't there. From that perspective as well, just because I've, I know what to expect and all that. Um, yeah. That's, that's why I said that's kind of a tough question because I don't know how to push back or respond or, or debate that particular t- topic because I don't feel it, you know? Um, right. And I also, but, but, you know, one thing that I've noticed, I think, from all three of us throughout these discussions, and then you even see it online, is that what this book is about or what we think this book is about varies pretty wildly from person to person, which I think was not huh. the thing that I expected when we, when we huh. chose, when we chose it. Um, which is why I think for some people it stands alone. And then for some people they need a home or Gil or Lila, you know, to make, to make yeah. more sense of it. Um, like I even talked about last week, how for me, um, I'm not going to say Jack is, or the grandfather, or whatever are incidental, but that the central relationship is the one that never hap- that never occurs on screen, so you never to speak. See it. yeah. Right? yeah. It's that yeah. Far, it's it's Ames and his son. And so so everything else that's going on is, is sort of gotta be viewed through that prism. Mm. Um, so for me that's the that's the the thematic thread or through line that holds, you know, the all these other ideas together. And then, yeah. and then they're kind of the everything else is kind of an offshoot of that. Um so like the question of should Jack stay? Even that, like you, you have to view that question through this prism. Yes. Um, should. Um, I don't know. There's, all, I mean, there's a lot of questions we could talk about here. I actually kind of want to know if you think Jack should, should stay. We should talk about that before the end of this episode. Um, the, the relationship between Lila and Jack um mm-hmm. you have to see it through that perspective through that prism as well. Um and mm-hmm. then and then it aims his own feelings towards Jack. Um I think you have to see it through that prism. So that's the thematic through line for me. So that's kind of why I don't feel I don't feel that sense that there's something missing for me, you know? Um
0: I'd have to think but, about but, it I'm trying but, to think right? about it
1: objectively. Yeah. You know.
0: You you see though. That that the thing that holds the book together, and the thing that prov- that kind of coalesces things, is this sort of like hidden relationship between John and his son, his young son. Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think one. Of, I think that's certainly the one of the big th- through lines that holds it together. Yeah, the relationship with John and his his son, who, whom he's
0: writing to. Yes. So I I get why. Um, that is what we keep coming back to john keeps saying you know i saw you in your red shirt today at church i am um it's very clear that he's writing to his son and he keeps coming back to that he kind of it's like he keeps reminding us of that in a way right um but but i saw that i did not feel like that tied everything together it made hmm. um it was a thread throughout the book but it didn't feel like that thread was strong enough to bind the book together I felt like that thread could have like it, it so what it does wasn't it, a rope it was just a thread
1: so where do where do you see it leaving something hanging and I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to when I ask that question right. I'm not trying to be combative or say that you're wrong and I'm right I'm just wondering wh- where do you see that that it's leaving some, something hanging like what What theme or event or whatever do you think that that, that, that relationship doesn't tie in?
0: I don't see how. That, that's kind of a rough question to ask you on the spot. <laughs> it is. It is. No, I, but I think I've got a, a somewhat self-satisfying answer. I don't see the relationship between the grandfather and the father— I don't really see it coalescing with the um, relationship between John and his own son. The 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 similarity is that they're fathers and sons. That's it. Well,
1: okay. So here's the way I would view that. I, I th- okay. I think you have to. I don't know exactly how to say. I think you may have to be a little more abstract in the way you think about it. I don't I, that yeah. that sounds accusatory or like I don't know, it's not meant to be. No, no, no. no. So, like, you remember the part where he says Ames says to in, in the letter to his son that that we're all kind of standing on the the backs of the history of our you know families and it's kind of yeah. sins of your sins of the father's yes. theme yeah i can't remember exactly when that was i wish i could find it right now to, to reread it was it. in
0: the previous podcast and I, you know what i bet you i could find it i don't think it'd be terribly hard to find because it's the same it's between i, I found, think, it. I found it i found it oh great it's on 198
1: um it is true that we all do live in the ruins of the lives of other generations so there is a seeming continuity which is important because it deceives us um and so on and so forth but you know you could read that whole section but for the sake of conversation I'll just read that line um yeah. and I think that that's, a, that's that's the big idea because or a big idea because one of the things that Ames is struggling with is that he is not going to you know it's the relationship with the son but it's also the absence of the relationship He's not going to know his son as an adult. He's not going to mm-hmm. be able to guide him or give him wisdom. Um, he's, you know, not going to be given the opportunity. He, he essentially, he feels what, what he, what is going, he is going to be forced to do what Jack did to that baby.
0: Uh... That is, he is going to
1: be leaving him and he's not doing it. It wouldn't be his choice. That's why he says, I would leave everything and walk a thousand miles for one more chance to see just to look, if I only had one more time to look at you and your mother, look at your faces. Um, And so the ruins of these lives that build these families and build this community, which is why I believe the end of the book is focusing so much on the town and the place and how he's like, people are going to leave. This town is ridiculous. I I get it. And people are going to leave, but these are the ruins of the other generations and they inform who we are and how we relate to each other and the way we think about each other and the way we forgive each other and the way we love each other and all these kind of things. And so those relationships that his, his father and his grandfather had and the way he thinks about them. And then we learn more about the way his relationship with his own father was troubled later on when his father leaves town to go to Florida Yeah, and they want him to leave and all that. And he gets angry and you know, he feels like he's been left behind and all like all those relationships can't help but inform the way he feels about his son and, and, and like the idea that he can't be there for him. And so he's trying, you know, so that's one of the reasons I believe that he can look at Jack and offer him grace in the end. Yeah. Um, the difference is Jack's making, you know, has made bad choices, but, um, and that's, that's a key difference. I, I get it, but he is sure. Ames is trying to work through what it means that he's not going to be there for his son. And I think that that's that's where a lot of those relationships come into it. Um, and he's also trying to offer some wisdom to his son about how to to relate to one another, which is why you know the idea of she ends the book with this theme of of courage, yeah, and 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 um and even gallantry and hope, um, and the and you know, he talks about the idea of prevenient grace that precedes grace itself and allows us to accept it. He says, I think there must also be a prevenient courage that allows us to be brave. That is to acknowledge that there is more beauty than our eyes can bear. That precious things have been put into our hands and to do nothing to honor, not to do, and to do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. What I have to leave you. What do I have to leave you? But the ruins of old courage and the lore of old gallantry and hope. Well, as I have said, it is all an ember now, and the good Lord will surely someday breathe it into the flame. Um, and I think that that gallantry, and, you know, that that idea of courage, that idea of hope, that ties back to the grandfather. The grandfather was certainly very courageous. His father, is in being a pacifist, seems to have not not. He was brave in his own way, but also doubted himself. And then, so, th- and then in the end, John's trying to figure it out he calls jack brave and that's a question we need to talk about but um that's you know that that that's that's he's trying to leave him with some kind of wisdom based on the generations you know yeah. the rubble yeah. the ruins of generations um
0: anyway that's very helpful for me that uh, that's really helpful for me you're right i need uh, i think it's a more abstract the thing that i wanted was more abstract um but what you just described it is abstract but it does that that helps that helps things kind of gather for me
1: do you okay let's talk a little bit about jack and the and the there's three questions i have that i think are really interesting at least that need to be contemplated yeah should jack leave should jack have left should John the have, town? Yes, yes, no, yeah. yes, yes. Should Jack or should John have blessed Jack? And is John wrong to view Jack as uh, brave? Um, I, and I I will just we'll just start with that. So let's should Jack have left. Do you think what do you think about that question? Should Jack leave the, Should he have left the town? Was Ames right to understand why he did it?
0: Boy. Oh, David. (laughs) You might have to edit out like 30 seconds of silence.
1: (laughs) No, people can Uh, think along with you. We just put on the Jeopardy music, right? Right. Was
0: Jack right to leave the town? I don't think that he was leaving because he was afraid, you know, like afraid of his brothers and sisters showing up. Mm-hmm. I, I feel uh, like he was leaving. I, okay.
1: Can I just interject here real quick? Yeah. yeah. I love a question like this. That a, well, I love a, that a book like this can generate a question like this where like there's no even if you, like, there's no instinctive right answer where you're like yeah. obviously like that the, the complexity of the question suggests a certain level of complexity to the scenario right and thus, yeah. and thus the book so um, you know a book like this certainly causes you to ask questions and yeah definitely I like this. Do you think that Jack in leaving is abandoning his father?
0: No. I don't think so. Do you think this
1: is a Prodigal Son scenario again? Like is this different than when he left previously?
0: I it does seem different. It seems it yeah, it seems different. Does it seem different to you?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a key a key part. I was, my question wasn't really meant to be leading, but as I after I answered it, I realized yeah, I think it is different. Like it, he's not he doesn't he's not leaving he's not just running off. Right. Like he's not, he didn't just disappear.
0: He's not escaping. He's not trying to escape like trouble that he's created. Well,
1: I mean, he gets, the problem is that's complicated, right? Like he understands, he understands that, that how much his father longs for him. Right. Yeah. Um, and that glory thinks he shouldn't stay, but at the same time, you know, he also recognizes the drama that it would mean for him to stay and he recognizes you know that there's he, he he's got to go pursue the next path i suppose mhm mhm um do you think jack is a bad guy
0: and he's certainly he's certainly troubled Oh, See, he's certainly troubled. These,
1: this is why. I, this is, I don't know. This is why I like this book because these are the questions that you think about when you read it or after you're done, and you're like, man, yeah. I don't know how to answer that.
0: Like, I is know. he a bad guy?
1: Yeah, he's troubled, but does that make him a bad guy? You know, yeah. I don't know. Does it, he's done bad things, but does that make him a bad guy? And if he's a bad guy, does that mean that Jack shouldn't have blessed him? Or even if he was a bad guy, should Jack still have blessed him? If he's a bad guy, should John, should John make the effort, or should he try to distance himself from him? yeah does leaving for, make you know i just i think these are there's so many layers to the to a question to these questions that this book asks us to think about at the end
0: for me the question of whether or not john should bless him that's the easiest one of these terrible questions you're putting forward for me to like labor online <laughs> okay go ahead uh, go go for it go for it for me whether or not jack is a bad guy or a good guy i think blessing him is the right decision so you found that seemed I mean, to be meaningful I did I did and I think in a strange way I think I would have found it even more meaningful had John concluded that Jack was a bad guy do you, if okay. he had blessed him even believing he was a bad guy
1: do you believe that, that what do you what conclusion do you think that John has come to about Jack because what we what we do know is he's learned he has come to love him. Yes. He tells Jock, he tells Old Boughton when he whispers in his ear at the end, which I think one of the reasons why I I couldn't say this last week. One of the reasons why I think that scene in the house works where they're not talking is because yes, it's like right. it's leading it's kind of like one of several, a couple of different conversations that are referenced between those two earlier in the book, a lot of their conversations that are referenced even in like in the past there's talking, there's joviality, they're they're good friends, they're bantering, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Here, they're very old and they're tired. Yeah. The, one, yeah. the one in the house, they're very old and they're tired and most of it's like voiceless, like unspoken communication and they're not really yeah. sure how to communicate it. And then here you get this one where Old Bowden can, I mean, he's not even really conscious and it's this very tender moment. And so it's like... It's, it's especially leaving.
0: sweet, Right, the idea of when John was telling us about sneaking in through his window when yeah, you were kids, so they were to go fishing and like go, Oh, it was so sweet. And I was like, and it, it really reinforced these men were brothers. They grew up together. They've right. known each other for so long. And now one of them is dying and the other one is going to die. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the question, John blessing Jack and what does John think about Jack? I don't think that he thinks that Jack has become pure of heart. Mm-hmm. I do think that he believes that Jack is trying to take some sort of responsibility. I think he thinks that.
1: I wish with we his, had time to go through reference. and to go through and look at every reference to how he refers to Jack in this last pair, this last section.
0: Be- what do you think david Does he what do you think john thinks about jack i
1: okay so i don't think i was just kind of following some of the conversation on the facebook page and people were talking about you know is does the book end with actual hope or is it just are we just yeah. supposed to think there's hope but there's not any and how are we supposed to really feel about jack and you know, all that kind of stuff i i don't think Jack John stops making judgments in the about Jack in the same way. He stops thinking about him as far as a good guy or a bad guy. And he starts thinking about him in terms of like, he starts, he refers to him as things like lonely, like progressively yeah. as the book goes on, that's what he starts to do. So he's at the beginning, he starts talking, he's talking about him as a bad guy. He's a threat. And by the end, he's talking about how he's a lonely guy. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a subtle but significant shift in the in the way that we're supposed to feel about, you know, we're supposed to mirror how John feels about him. So he's not he's done saying he's done judging him for his behavior, and instead he's saying, What is my job as, you know, the godfather, as the friend, the uncle, if you want to follow the brother's relationship, the pastor.
0: Almost the pastor, yeah, right. What right. is
1: my job there? And he's suggesting that his job is something different than than you know a judge or a jury Now I don't believe I believe that what he has come to the conclusion Is that Jack is no longer Is not a threat Like I don't believe that he is I don't believe that this is the kind of scenario Where John is enabling Bad behavior Because I think that he has concluded That this that Jack is not The threat that Like he's not yeah. an abuser Or something like that yeah. Which is actually not something yeah, I agree we, that's that. not something we ever really even get a suggestion of in the book. Right? Yeah. He's made bad decisions. Yeah. He uh, overdrinks, spends his money. He he's he did a lot of bad things when he was young and that has led to trouble. Um yes. but I don't so but John so John has come to the conclusion he's not a threat in that way. And then his thoughts begin to change and he begins to offer sympathy for him because he's lonely, but he never comes out and says this is a good guy. Right. 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 Uh, so I think even the question that I asked, is he a bad guy? It maybe, is, maybe it's just the wrong question.
0: Is, it, it seems like John's disposition toward Jack goes from fear that he's a threat to pity, but not pity. I wish we had a better word for that. I, I, cause I not don't think pity in simple. like the Gollum way? like yeah, the lord of the rings pity, like, scene. I mean it's such a that, that word means condescension now. Right, right. So I think I mean something closer to sympathy, but I don't mean sympathy because he just they're different people. He's Jack has lived his way, his life in a way that I'm sure that John you know, he he finds that a lot of the decisions that he's made he does not approve of them. So I don't think that it's sympathy. It's closer to like a respectful pity
1: yeah yeah i think i like i think that your adjective there is is useful respectful pity because pity is like you said it's it's got that sense of condescension too i think you're right about right. that. you know he when he describes him he says that he he does refer to him as there's the scene where he's walking and he says that he was he was walking to the to the bus maybe yeah, and he goes before he blesses him, and he says that in his he sees him as looking somehow elegant and brave.
0: Elegant and brave, right?
1: And I find that really interesting because what he says is looking somehow elegant and brave. Yeah, it's not like he says I, he's he was elegant and brave. This isn't the author telling us he lo- he was el- that Jock was elegant and brave. It's it's John saying somehow to me there's something about him that made him look elegant and brave.
0: You know, the picture that came to my mind on that line was. Uh, he could have said the same thing about a scarecrow, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
1: Too thin for his
0: clothes, carrying a suitcase. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's that juxtaposition of, of how beaten down, how beaten down Jack was with, um, Juxtaposing that with looking brave, that was a little bit jarring to it's, me. It's, it's I, a
1: fascinating paragraph,
0: the way she structures it.
1: Let's do it. It's on, it's on 239, the first paragraph after the section break. Okay. You want to read that?
0: Yeah. This morning I saw Jack Botan walking toward, walking up toward the bus stop, looking too thin for his clothes, carrying a suitcase that seemed to weigh almost nothing, looking a good deal past his youth. Looking like someone you wouldn't much want your daughter to marry, looking somehow elegant and brave.
1: Yeah, that's so good. It's, I like, like, it's so fascinating.
0: It is. It's too thin. A suitcase with nothing in it. Uh, past his youth, looking looking old. You didn't want your daughter to marry, somehow elegant and brave.
1: So what's she do? What do you, what do you think she's doing there? What's he doing there? However you want to look at it. I'm fascinated by this paragraph. I love this kind of stuff.
0: It seems like that paragraph almost summarizes the change that, or John's new opinion of Jack, his confirmed opinion of Jack.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it, what also you're getting is it's almost like an equation, but it's like an ironic one. Oh, right. So you're getting all these things, and then they add up to the opposite of what you might expect.
0: Uh huh. And the opposite uh-huh.
1: of, but the opposite of what you might expect is the result of him enduring the things in the first four sentences. So because of these other things about him, that's why he is somehow elegant and brave.
0: It is. Like, it's, it's, it's a great comparison. That. Uh, so the, the uh, math equation or the, the, the math problem is something like uh two minus four minus five equals positive eight yeah, right yeah <laughs> which right. doesn't make it the math does not work you're just so listing one the, bad
1: thing after another and the result is positive positive.
0: and the result is positive which means to me that the change that has taken place is wholly within john
1: right yeah he the, he sees him Despite all that he sees him in such a different way and what I we've got to talk about. Oh, man, where is it? This just made me realize something Oh, man He talks about transfiguration Do you remember that section no talks about transfiguration, okay, it's on 245. But the Lord—oh, here, I'll read this whole paragraph. It, see, it has seemed to me sometimes as though the Lord breathes on this poor gray ember of creation and it turns to radiance for a moment or a year or the span of a life, and then it sinks back into itself again. And to look at it, no one would know it had anything to do with fire or light. That is what I, That is what I said in the Pentecost sermon. I've reflected on that sermon, and there is some truth to it. But the Lord is more constant and far more extravagant than it seems to imply. Wherever you turn your eyes, and the where, where just, man, I'm screwing this up. I love this line. Wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. Only who could have the courage to see it?
0: Now and, I remember that paragraph.
1: And and it seems like what's ha- he talks a lot about how Jesus, how God sees us how he sees people despite their failures as he's grappling with how to look at Jack. And it seems like what's happening there is he's looking at this deeply flawed person, but he's not seeing the sum of those flaws. He's seeing, Mm. he's seeing him how someone who loves him would see him. Yeah. It's the eyes of seeing through the eyes of love. There's the way he sees Jack is a transfigured Jack. Does yeah. that make sense yeah, like, oh yeah as in as much the same way Jesus when he sees us we, we are not yeah. the sum of our sins and our failures and the things that we deserve right he says he says on 238... thirty eight Right before the 239 line about elegance elegance and bravery, he says there is no justice in love, no proportion, and and there need not be, because in any specific instance it is only a glimpse or parable of an embracing, incomprehensible reality. It makes no sense at all because it is the eternal breaking in on the temporal. How could it subordinate itself to cause or consequence? It is worth living long enough to outlast whatever sense of grievance you may acquire. Another reason you must be careful of your health. I love her The <laughs> so love- deep ideas with a little bit of humor. Yeah. But that's why um I mean I, I don't want to bring up a line. Angelina brought up a line last week and I don't she's not she can't be here to, you know, talk about it. But she said that um there's the line about that she didn't like where he says, Oh, you get what you deserve essentially. And oh, right. I think that what we're getting here is a is a much more complex vision of reality. Like his his thoughts on that are 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 changing and evolving themselves. Because he's saying, you know, it's not about justice. Justice is not, you know, I don't love... I'm not learning to love Jack because that is the just thing to do. Mm-hmm. Just as it is not just that, you know... um jack not be allowed to be with his son and it is not just that bouton not be allowed to be with his and it was not just for for Ames to lose his son and daughter and it's not just that that uh, lila is not going to have a husband and their son's not going to have a father you know and i think
0: and that jack's that jack's the young woman and his son it's not she's not treated justly the girl that dies is not treated justly right those things also
1: yeah i mean it, it seems like you know, and what's and what his grandfather it just just struck me. What his grandfather is after, Ames's grandfather is this like sense of justice, right? But there's this mm-hmm. like justice through fire and brimstone. hmm Um, and his father feels like you know it's a different sort of justice that he's after, and it seems yeah. that um you know through through pacifism through the you know turning to the Quakers and things like that, and what John is realizing here is, or at least coming to the conclusion is, justice is not the the Christian way we're not you know and that's why that's why I believe that what Marilyn Romans is getting at with the Calvinism stuff is mm-hmm. that it's way deeper than you know 20th 20th century Calvinism like pop Calvinism would have us oh, believe right
0: right right she's yeah. uh, she's
1: written about that in a lot of places that that it's it's way deeper than just this sense of you know the way we think about Calvinism now, and that's—I mean—we could talk for hours about that. So I'm not going to get into that too much. But you know, he so, that he's looking at—he's learning to look at the world, and he's learning to look at the people around him, in particular Jack, through the eyes of love as opposed to the eyes of justice. And that's a dichotomy. We talked about dichotomies a lot, and that's a key dichotomy in this book, and might be the the central one um, of all of them. That you know, yeah. just, justice and and love are often antithetical to one another. And so, what is our role in that?
0: David, there's this – a friend of mine a long time ago introduced me to this phrase that uh, Carl Rogers, a psychologist, used to use a lot, that the, the psychologist or the counselor's position toward the client should be one of unconditional positive regard, hmm. unconditional positive hmm. regard. And I remember hearing that. Sounds like something a teacher should think about. Yeah, I I heard that, and this is a long time ago. And I was filled with a desire for that to say, oh, I want that to be my stance to everyone that I know, unconditional positive regard. And I still want it to be. And there are two obstacles. One of them is just that I don't, I just don't like certain people, and I know it's just a shortcoming. Are you trying <laughs> to tell I me something? Everyone, <laughs> 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 but it's true. But there's there's people in your life, David. You just like you just don't like them. No. You want to like them. You know that the call of God is to love your neighbor, and your neighbors can be anybody. It can be the Samaritan. It can be the person that lives next to you. And so you know that that is the the ideal that we should strive for. Um, but at least for me, I just I, there's some people I just genuinely just don't really like to spend time with, and I find myself not yeah. displaying or feeling unconditional positive regard. So that's the first obstacle. And the second obstacle is, what do you do with a bad person? Yeah. Do you, do you still have unconditional positive regard for a bad person? And I think both you and I, and I'm sure Angelina, there's a sense in which like, we don't even want to use the phrase bad person. You know, who are we? Right. We're very careful not to judge. And Jesus' words, um, you who call a man raka fool— is in danger of hellfire. That's like a really stern warning. Nevertheless, I think to navigate – what John Ames was afraid of was that Jack was a bad person, and he was extremely reluctant to arrive at that conclusion, but it, but that was the thing that he was really afraid of. And so let's imagine that Jack was truly a bad, bad person. Mm-hmm could should john still have had unconditional positive regard for him
1: man that's a <laughs> that's the million dollar <laughs> theological question right yeah um it seems like what it seems like that's one of the things that he is asking his son to think about too right because yeah. and if you are gonna love someone who's not a great person, that's where that's where courage sometimes comes in, right? Mm. Like it takes a certain level of of courage and understanding and all that to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's why I think the thing that I chiefly like about this book, I said last week. You know, it's not the kind of book that I. It's not like a hard book for me. Um, yeah it's maybe closer than some books we've read on the show or whatever, but um, it's certainly not J. Crow for me. But um, what I love about it is the, the questions that it makes me think about. Um, Like it makes me think about how I'm thinking about people from my family, from my wife and kids, you know, as, as a father to people around me who I don't understand. I don't think they're great people or whatever. Just as speaking to what you're talking about there. And it it just makes me think about questions of theology, questions of relationship, you know, Um, I don't know. And that, that to me is, I can't, I can't imagine I'm the only one who finds myself thinking about these questions. If you, if you, after reading this book, and I think that's certainly one of the marks of a good book. It makes yeah, you think absolutely right it makes you ask questions even if it doesn't give you answers um, you know it doesn't have to be the greatest book you've ever read, but um, but yeah, anyway, that thought I could drift that thought off into eternity, so you might as well pick it up here. <laughs> <laughs> I may drift off I, with
0: it. I always think about um, how I find it relatively easy to love the people that are in. My tribe, you know, like I've got a great family. Yeah, you know, and I've yeah. got—I love my friends. Honestly, I go to seriously conferences. And I'm like, oh, these are my people. This is just my tribe of people. Yeah. And so, for me, this book is about—it prompts me to think about people that are outside my tribe, and it's like a reminder, just because they're outside of your tribe, just because they don't share filial lines. And kind of like a kinship of affections with you doesn't mean that they are not worthy of unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. And I think for Marilyn mm-hmm. Robinson that it's even the, – the stakes are even more heavy because she's talking about people that are in the same tribe. Mm-hmm. They're all mm-hmm. in the same tribe.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Jack being, there's that line, which is really moving to me on 240, nobody ought to be as lonely as he looked to me walking along by himself. Um, and then that's another one of those sentences that's interesting because he says, as he looked to me, you know, as if God put something in his heart in particular to, uh, to notice how lonely Jack was and to respond, yeah. to, and to respond to that and to give him a hand quite, quite literally in this case of the blessing, um. But Jack is himself. He is the outsider in the tribe, and even right. even as someone who's broken and and sinful and and rotten in some ways, you know. Um, uh, the unconditional regard thing is maybe not unconditional. I don't know, but but you know, you look at Jesus, who the the idea that Jesus hung out with prostitutes and stuff like that, that lines a little overplayed, but but he did. The disciples were in their own ways. They all did things that were, you know, caused them to be broken, or they abandoned right. Jesus and things like that. Um, they, yeah, the were, climactic they were greedy moment and jealous. In,
0: when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the rock of the church betrays him. Yeah. I mean, you know, the climax of the story is one of his followers just absolutely in a loss of faith. Courage. Yeah. Absolute loss of courage. Yeah.
1: But Jesus comes back and appears, you know, comes back and he doesn't,
0: he doesn't abandon him. You know, he doesn't give him what he justly deserves, if you will. Right. It's like a recapitulation of the whole gospel is, um, he forgives the one and places him and gives him more responsibilities right after his failure.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I've never thought about that before. Maybe everyone's thought about that except me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Never struck me that way before.
0: You know, we keep talking about the prodigal son and maybe Jack is the prodigal son and the prodigal son, maybe in the story that Jesus tells the prodigal son would have not remained in his father's house. You know, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what happens after the party. Yeah.
1: It would have been difficult. That's the thing.
0: It would have been really difficult. I remember the, the pastor, it, um, the church that I go to here in Seattle mentioned that he was talking about one of the Greek words associated with the prodigal son, and I wish I could remember it. Maybe one of our listeners knows. Basically, there's not an indication that the prodigal son was coming back fully repentant. Hmm. He was coming back. Yeah. And it was, he had, had like, to. He didn't have a choice. Where was yeah. he going to go? Yeah. Was it, how was he going to pay for his next meal? Yeah. And I had not Much thought like of that Jack. before. Much like Jack. Much like Jack. Right. And so maybe maybe this is Jack's moment of prevenient grace. It's the moment, you know, we're witnessing him in the midst of his turning, but Marilyn Robinson doesn't, in this book, show us enough about what's going to happen with Jack and... Okay, but that brings us back to a question that I wanted to talk about <laughs> early on. Yeah, yeah. If if a listener says, "Tim, Angelina, you've got to read, you've got to read home to know what happens with Jack." Um, that's a f- fair thing to say. Uh, I don't know that that rescues Gilead.
1: Well how do what is that what is uh, pardon me, but what does that have to do with what we're talking about here?
0: Because if this is if if the closing of this book is Jack leaving and he can kind of like there he can go a few, he can go several different ways once he leaves. He can what if he becomes an alcoholic? What if he becomes um What if he totally abandons his wife and child? What if he, what if he, what if he, Mm -hmm. or what if he finds some way to, to return to his wife and child? What if, you know, like, what if this is the beginning of a turn toward God in Jack's life?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't know how much to say, but basically home takes place concurrently to this.
0: Oh, it does. Okay. So we don't really even know. I'm not, I, I'm
1: not going to. I mean, I think you'd need, I don't know. I don't, shouldn't say anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I thought home maybe gave it's, us it's a little bit. A of I'll, I'll it's not a sequel.
1: I'll say that. It's not
0: a sequel. It's concurrent.
1: And then Lila's takes place much earlier. Okay. Um, what was the question though?
0: Well, the question I asked at the beginning is if I need to read another book, to make sense out of Gilead, uh, isn't that a shortcoming in Gilead?
1: Yeah, I guess the question is, what are you missing out on in Gilead? That you, like, what do you feel like you're losing, like as far yeah. as understanding the characters or something like that? Um, I mean, you know, we talked a lot about like what's this book actually about, and like the beginning's a little boring. It's just these these letters from a from a father to his son. It feels like a journal and all that. And I think one of the things that's about this book is it becomes so much more than just about the letters these letters mm. i mean that's the through line that relationship is the through line but it becomes that through line expands the world rather than tightening it
0: i see i see huh
1: and so much more happens right and that it means so much it matters to so many more people than just his reflections on his grandfather and stuff like that yes
0: i think i'm going to read uh home and lila i
1: i think you'd like home i actually honestly, i actually like home better than gilead um that's it's more It's i prefer it um and uh gilead i find aims to be i find being in his head to be a i just i think he seems like an amiable old dude yeah like i, I probably would enjoy hanging out with him a little bit Maybe I, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe people think he's boring. I don't know, but he is pretty old. So yeah, let's give him a break. People, come on. <laughs> no offense to all the old people out there, but like almost everybody's older than me on the listens to this show. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tim, yeah, you're I, you're old.
0: Oh, I'm older than you, David.
1: Yeah, you're ancient.
0: I am ancient. <laughs> Where have the years gone? <laughs>
1: They floated off into the ethosphere somewhere.
0: They sure did.
1: Um well let's not let's not get too much into that because it might get sad and dark. I don't know. Um Well we've been going for over an hour. Let's what what are your final thoughts on this book that you you know that you want to just kind of leave out there for everybody? And obviously we can contribute to the Facebook conversation too for the next yeah. little while, but
0: uh Personally, it's, I, wish that I, I wish that this was my second read of Gilead. This has been the hardest one to read out loud. In other words, you know, probably two-thirds of the books that we've done on close reads have been my first read. Um, I'd never read Jaber Crow before. I'd uh, never done—yeah, a lot of them I'd never done before. But for some reason, I had an easier time. It, you know, it's a little bit um, unnerving to talk about a book when you don't know exactly where it's going. Maybe unnerving is not the right word. Hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not operating from a position of strength, which is, which is fine. Um, except this book was just—I felt really bewildered a lot of the time. And I think that's part of the reason that I latched on so hard, you know, like I said, around page one twenty or one forty, when I saw this sort of like mystery between Jack and John developing because it was it was something that I could kind of sink my teeth into. Yeah. Now having finished the book, it 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 uh it dissipated a little bit. Your comments today have helped me kind of see more of the unity that I don't think that I saw when I finished the book. So personally, that's where I'm coming from. I really like this book. I think it's, I don't think it's a great book, but I am curious enough to want to read it again. I kind of want to put it down for a few years and then read it again.
1: Like capital G, capital B, great book, you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, few books are truly. books
0: are. What about you, David, having gone through it a second time on close read, or a second time and having gone through it on close reads? You know, I'm very torn (laughs)
1: because in some ways I kind of wish we hadn't done it because I feel like people's comments about, you know, needing to read home and like, I've questioned whether that was a good idea and having chosen it and. Yeah. Um, you know, another, things like that. So I, I I think the conversation has been awesome on Facebook though. It's been really interesting to hear people grappling and thinking and discussing and changing each other's minds. And I'm sure there's been some some people getting angry at each other too, but you know, being uh being pleasant about it on on, on Facebook. Um yeah. But it is interesting how we to your point we latch on to things that are familiar when we're reading Yeah. New books, and it just speaks to the way reading is such a unique experience. And and I talked about it a lot on this these sequence of episodes. Probably too much. Just the idea of the mystery of reading a book. You just never know what's gonna what a book's gonna mean to you or why. um, Yeah. Or or the things that you're gonna look for or anything like you know those kind of things. And I mean that's why I enjoy doing this show is because even reading it a second time or a third time you'll have a new mysterious experience with it. Um and it just makes it interesting to to talk about with people and it's why reading and literature in you know are just inherently amazing things, you know.
0: Yeah. I know. I'm reading the Odyssey with my skole students and none of them have read it before. Hmm. And you know, the Odyssey you know, top 10 of like Western classics. Yeah. And it is really been shining through how difficult a first read of a complex book like the Odyssey is. It's just the students are all in it. They're superb students. They're bright, they're engaged, but it's their first time going through it. We, we just cannot go very deep
1: you know yeah, and I've, I've had right. to kind of
0: step back and say remember tim it's their first time your job is to equip them for the second read it's not to get into the profundities of Arate and the meaning of you know it's just i i can't get into that level with them it's their first read mm-hmm. um and i kind of feel like i it's my you know Now I'm going through the same thing where I've just got done going through the same thing with Gilead. It's my first read. I feel like I just scratched the surface. I feel like I've hardly even understood. Like I struggled to find the thematic unity in it. So that's part of the reason I want to read it again. And I also I really want to read Home and Lila.
1: Oh, I'll be very interested to hear what you think of this.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, thanks to everybody who's been discussing with us. Um, sorry, we're not going to get to the Q and A episode. We just need a break. <laughs> um, uh, so, thank thanks for your understanding on that. Please do comment on Facebook, though. You know, um, we'll we'll try to get to as many of those questions as we can and engage in the conversation where we possibly can. But keep talking amongst yourselves in the meantime. And and really, truly, thank you for listening. It's been um, it's always a great pleasure to finish a new book and. Um, We keep hearing from people who are going back and listening to old shows like the Pride and Prejudice or the the Wendell Berry series or whatever. And, of course, we're very excited about doing uh, the Murder on the Orient Express. It's going to be fun to do something fun and, I guess, light, I suppose. Although someone getting murdered on a train maybe isn't the most light thing. But but that'll be a good time, and uh, we'll start that um, the week. Uh, We'll record that on, what, the 17th or something like that, the 18th? Um, so we'll record on the 18th and the 25th and we'll do three episodes on that and then we'll do the movie like I said So, um, I guess with that that's all for now so for Tim McIntosh and for all of us here at the Cersei Institute and for Angelina Stanford who couldn't be here with us this time uh, I am David Kern saying farewell thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you next time